Danny Mac Show with BK. Podcast powered by I Promise. Now, here's Danny Mac with BK. Third time through the lineup. He strikes out seven and he strikes out the side in the seventh inning. Age is just a number for old Uncle Charlie. <laughs> that was Adam Wainwright last night. He was really good. And welcome into the Danny Mac Show. I'm Dan McLaughlin. That is BK. It's day baseball coming up at uh, 2.30 on Bally Sports Midwest. Tanner is with us as well. Guys, good morning. What's going on? Good morning, Dan. The- it's really rare that this early in the season, unless you're getting like Padres Dodgers, which we all knew was going to feel like a playoff series every time those two teams met. It's very rare that you have a game that has the feel of a playoff moment mm-hmm. 17 games into the season. That but cool, last night, that had that kind of a feel to it. Cardinals finally get a pitcher to work through the seventh. They lose not just seven innings, but seven innings of one run baseball. And he struck out 10. That was Wainwright's first game uh, since May 25th of 2014 at Cincinnati, nearly seven years ago to put together that type of outing. And in terms of the historical perspective of what he did last night to have a starting pitcher, seven or more innings, allow one earned or less and strike out 10 or more Wainwright at the age of 39 is the oldest to do that. Chuck Finley, Bob Gibson, they did it as well. Finley was 39, but not as many days, and Gibby was 38. So in terms of a historical performance last night, that's about as good as it gets. And they needed it. This was the type of performance that we've been waiting for. And, and Dan, I'm kind of starting to see some signs, and it needs to continue today. You've got Carlos on the mound today. you got KK going in the game on Friday. This is a big one. Um, it feels like the Cardinals rotation. Things are starting to click a little more. You saw it with Jack yesterday or a couple of days ago. Now you saw it with Wayno. If you can get these guys just consistently going six, at least now you're able to set up the bullpen in a way. And I know it didn't go the way that they wanted it to last night, but you can start to see how they want to piece things together in the eighth and the ninth. Let's talk about that eighth inning. So, um, I had zero problem keeping Gallegos in. And I know some fans would say, now, wait a minute. There was a walk hit by pitch. He pitched himself into trouble. The bases were loaded. There's two outs. Here's why, BK. And this game is not in August or September. This game is April. And if you're going to go to postseason play, and if you're going to win those tight games, Giovanni Gallegos is going to be a big part of why you do it. So... I'm taking a big picture view of it. Would I like to have seen maybe if the game was and you're a game out, right? Or uh, it's a must win situation. Would I have gone with Alex Reyes? Probably, probably with what I saw in that inning because he wasn't quite as sharp as we've normally seen. However, I want to instill in my guy and he's going to be one of my guys. He's one of my best coming out of that bullpen. He might be saving games. He might be going in with the game on the line in the sixth, the seventh, the eighth. But I'm showing you confidence as a manager, and I'm saying I am sticking with you. Win or lose, you're my guy, and it's okay. I got you. And I think that's what Mike Schilt was doing. I don't know if he'll come out and say that, but that was the way that I read it. Uh, Alex Reyes had to come in and clean it up, and we saw that. But I was okay with the move, and that would be the explanation as to why he kept with Giovanni Gallegos. And I think, Tanner, we have this explanation from Mike Schilt on his decision to stick with Gallegos in the eighth because he did say something to that effect, Stan. He goes, punch out, punch out. At that point, it's his game. You know, you trust Gio. I mean, if you've got to... Bring a Gio's been one of our best guys for three years, so you know I can't hit the the proverbial panic button 
because um, he's got the stuff to get out. If he comes comes in in jams, he's pitching in jams. He's in a jam, and he pretty much was a pitch away, you know, a couple pitches away from getting himself out of a jam. Had Alex ready, um, but again, punched out, punch out. He earned the opportunity to, to finish off his business. I think it was the right call. I do too. I know it's tough in that moment, and now that we have the benefit of hindsight with it being 2020, you can say to yourself, okay, that was wrong. They, they shouldn't have done that because they ended up losing as a result of that run scoring. I would have stuck with him there. April 20th, you know, I mean, it's early in the season. If you were going to make the move, it probably for me would have been before Castro, but I get leaving him in there to get the double play ball. That's right. You're trying to get, you're trying to get a double play. I, I didn't have an issue with it once you stick with him against Castro. No, so I, I, I thought it was the right move. If you were going to counter that and say, now, hold on, guys, I, I see what you're saying. Why not Hicks? I could go with that, but you got Hicks up earlier. Then he sat, and I think they want to be very careful with him, even mm-hmm. in non-game situations, meaning between the white lines. So if he gets up and he throws, he gets hot by design, coming off of Tommy John, being careful with him, you're not going to get him hot twice. And so I think, you know, some people would say, well, you're treating him with kid gloves. Yeah, you are. And that's the way they're going to approach it, whether you like it or not, with Jordan Hicks. And so that's why I think that they went with Gallegos. He's been their guy. He's going to be their guy. He's been really good this year. It was a blip on the radar. It just happened at the bad time in the game because, by the way, I so we're doing the games, as you know, and our listeners know, we're doing the games off a of monitor. So I see Mike Shield come out going towards the home plate umpire in the eighth inning. And I'm thinking, okay, double switch. You know, he's going to go make the move. And then I see Sosa pop out. Okay, well, double switch here. We'll see what he wants to do. You know, a little change with the lineup, whatever. And then five infielders in the eighth inning. It's unorthodox. You may see it in the ninth with the game on the line, and you got to keep the game tied to go into extra innings. Have you ever seen that in the eighth? Not in the eighth. Okay. I've never seen it, and I loved it. I I thought, here is a riverboat gambler, man. He's going for it, and I love when Mike Schilt does that. I love it. And I was okay with it. And And he was basically saying, we're winning or losing right here. But if we get to the ninth, we're going to the tenth. If we don't win it in the ninth, but I'm I'm trusting my guys to make a pitch, get a ground ball, and get us out of this or a strikeout, which he did. He struck out mm-hmm. Starlin Castro, so he had done the right thing. And then he walks the next guy in four pitches, and you're like, ah. But I liked what he did. I thought it was you're taking your best shot, man, and that's your best shot. He, if you look at Castro in his metrics, he puts the ball on the ground, and you got a guy in Gallegos. That's throwing whatever you want to call it, his slider, cutter, curve, middle, outer half. So what's a right-handed batter going to do that opens up and pulls a lot? He's going to put it on the ground. So he's playing the percentages. I was okay with that. It went against the book, but it it, it was a move that was a chancy move. And you got to have guts to do that. And you also have to have a little faith in your job. And I, I like that. I thought it was a good move. In fact, I loved it. Like, it's not just I was fine with him leaving him out there. I loved the way that he went all in on the decision. It's not just, hey, yeah, I'm going to show a little bit of faith here to Gio. No, I'm going to show faith in Gio, and I'm going to go all in on the fact that I believe in you. And Gio, he got the strikeout. That's the tough part for me is once you leave him in there for that at bat, and he gets the strikeout, so, so he shows he still has the command a little bit there. I don't know how I can take him out for the next at bat with Gomes coming up. That's tough for me. And yes, four pitches. He ended up not having his command there. I would have kept him in. I didn't think it was a bad decision. That's just one of those games that sometimes you lose it. It stinks. You wish you didn't. But sometimes it comes out on the other end.
So from the 980, goodness, I hate it when I hear people say, well, it's early. Who cares if it's early or late? A win, a win, a win. You don't know how many you're going to get later. And I think you've just made my point is that to get to those later games, you got to have Giovanni Gallegos. Mm-hmm. So I, I understand what the texture is saying. I get it. You're right. A win in April is like a win in August or September. You're right. However, over the course of a full season, I want my guys, if I'm the manager and the pitching coach, I want my guys to know I have ultimate confidence in you. And that's why you stick with Giovanni Gallegos there. And the other thing is you need to test the threshold, right? Okay, later on, if I get into a situation like this, maybe it is August, September, maybe it's even on October. You get into the postseason and you've got a situation similar to that where you see, okay, Gio's not sharp today. He ends up having some struggles early on. Can you push through this? Can he get the outs that we need here? If the answer is no, if this happens again two or three more times throughout the season, okay, I know I'm going to have to make a little bit of a move here. I'm going to have to go with a quick trigger, and I'm going to get Reyes or Hicks or whoever at that point, right? But right now, let's find out. Let's find out the answers to some of these questions so when you have the same quiz later on, I've got an open notes book test. And the confidence. Absolutely. I want to show them confidence. Hey, we got a lineup already. Tanner has just handed me this. So the Cardinals have submitted their lineup. It's Tommy Edmond in right field, batting leadoff. Paul Goldschmidt at first base. Nolan Arenado at third. Paul DeYoung will bat cleanup and play shortstop. Dylan Carlson is batting fifth in center field. Matt Carpenter will bat sixth and play second base. Justin Williams, he is in left field batting seventh. Uh, Andrew Kisner getting the start today for Carlos Martinez. He'll bat eighth, and uh, Seamart will bat ninth and pitch for St. Louis against Max Scherzer. I think they're going to have to move Carlson up. I think he's going to force their hand. They're well, not doing it today. five, so you're going to put him at two? Two or, or four. Four, okay. I, I think eventually I want him in the two or three spot. That's where I think his future is for this Cardinals team. For the right here and now, if they continue to want that Goldie Arenado setup, which is fine. It's been pretty productive this year. I got no issues with them sticking with that. I think he's going to be the guy that you want their batting cleanup eventually. We have Eduardo Perez coming up from MLB Network Radio. Great guy, good friend, and a former Cardinal. He'll be our guest. This is the Danny Mac Show with BK, the podcast powered by I Promise. One of my favorite guests that we can bring in, it's Eduardo Perez, the former St. Louis Cardinal. You see him calling games, whether they were going over in, well, they were, what, Japan and South Korea, and then he's calling Major League Games, and then he's calling MLB Network Radio. He's doing everything, and he's uh, one of the great guys in our business, and uh, a pleasure to welcome in to 101 ESPN again, Eduardo Perez. Eduardo, first of all, great to hear from you. Secondly, uh, we mentioned yesterday you were supposed to be with us, but you had some issues with the dog. How's how's the dog doing? Well, uh, first of all, Danny Mac, thanks for asking, man. Mickey is doing well. Uh, believe it or not, he's a toy poodle. Of course, you can <laughs> picture a 250-pound big dude, 6'4", like me, with a 6.5-pound toy poodle. <laughs> walking around, he's a Rottweiler. And uh, my, little, my little toy poodle had both dislocated both shoulders in the front both uh, uh legs dislocated so they they got him back up there he decided to jump from the bed onto the ground and we didn't realize it at the time started shaking the night before when dogs are in pain they start shaking uncontrollably and i was like what's going on mick but mick is hanging well he's here by my side goes everywhere i go awesome 
Awesome. Um, I've got a I got a question for you too about Mickey. Is it Mickey Mantle, or is there a reason why Mickey is named Mickey? Yeah, there's there's a couple reasons. One, my daughters decided to name him, and two, um, it's not Mickey Mantle. It's more about Mickey Mouse and Mickey Mouse Hub because I work for Disney, being uh, ESPN. Mickey's always been very good to the family. Very good, very good. Hey, how you doing, man? What What do you think about the Major League Baseball season so far? What are some of the trends that you're picking up? Look, I'm not complaining. First of all, we didn't have any sports or baseball you got in it. April last year. So um, one thing I'm not, I'm not complaining about is being able to see baseball. I wish I were there in person. That's one thing that really has, has uh, hit me pretty hard because, you know, I'm 51 years of age, and for the first 50 years of my life, I always went one year, at least one time, to a baseball park growing up around it in a big league stadium. So I miss that part dearly, uh, dearly, and I miss the communication with the players, but I still love the action. Still, um, I'm seeing a lot of pitchers change the way that they pitch, um, not only with their repertoire, but also with their actions. I've seen them be more compact. I see them using the data a little bit more, and I, you know, and I'm proud of that. And I'm seeing the hitters are a little bit behind still when it comes to what's going on with the pitching. And, and we've seen uh, guys make major adjustments, but a lot of guys have actually gone backwards more than forward. And so far in April, who would have thought two no-hitters and one guy that has yet to walk a guy, Corbin Burns, who St. Louis Cardinal fans know well because he's in the same division. What have you noticed with those adjustments, Eduardo? It's interesting that you mentioned that. What are some of the things that you're seeing pitching-wise? Pitching wise, guys are guys are pitching to the weakness of hitters instead of sometimes being stubborn and saying, you know what, we're I'm going to pitch to my strength. No, they're realizing that if some hitters cannot hit on the upper quadrant, they're going to attack and attack and repeat and repeat, and not try to set up hitters anymore. Uh, I've noticed it in in the way I call games. Also, I've had to make adjustments as far as. Sometimes you used to see the up and in to see the slider down and away. No, if a hitter can't hit the pitch up, he's going to continue to see the pitch up until he makes that adjustment. And the human uh, human beings, we, we are so stubborn when it comes to making adjustments, to making change, uh, and, and hitters have to do it. And until they are able to do that, until they're able to rectify what their flaw is at the plate, then the pitchers and the teams and the data will continue to say just throw it and locate it there. You're a big league pitcher. You're supposed to do it. Now the big league hitters are going to have to grow up and be big boys and realize if I can't hit it, one, don't swing at it. That's what Mike Trout did. He can't hit the pitch up and in in the quadrant in the strike zone. So what he did was he trained not to swing at it. Obviously his eyesight, his reactions are a little bit different than a lot of other people's, than other players, but those things have to be done in order for you to be successful at this level. And um, and we're seeing it with the Chicago Cubs. Javi Baez not making the adjustment on anything fastball up. That's a, a very a team that has not made uh, good strides when it comes to being able to hit the fastball, but it's where it's being pitched, up in the zone. It's a low-ball hitting team. Teams are having an easier time being able to go against them just like it's been uh, tough for Aaron Judge to lift a fastball down in the zone, teams continue to pitch him down, and he still hasn't learned how to be able to lift it. Now, if you pitch him up, he's going to hurt you. And um, 
it's, it's about making those adjustments, and, and so far we haven't seen that. Eduardo Perez is our guest. And Eduardo, how about our guy, uh, Yadier Molina, at the age of 38, doing what he's doing at the plate? Oh, man. How awesome is it, man? I'm so proud. I, I'm, I'm really proud of Yadi and the way that he's been able to keep his body healthy and uh, to go out there and play with passion, play with that sense of urgency, not throwing away any pitch when it comes to as a catcher to a pitcher or vice versa. Um, yesterday, the double to give the team an opportunity uh, to tie the game in the ninth against Brad Hand, you know, just showed, you know, how you can grind out at bats. And, and uh, unfortunately for the Cardinals, they weren't able to score in that 3-2 loss. But still, it was it's, it's the, the sense of not giving up and, and realizing that um, there's, still, there's still a lot of game left in them. And 37 to be able to be squatting down 2,000-plus games behind the plate for the St. Louis Cardinals and counting, it's, it's pretty darn impressive. I, I got to wonder, I gotta wonder, Eduardo, if 2,000 with one team uh, catching is ever going to – if that's one of those immortal type of uh, milestones that will ever get uh, reached again. I, I'm, I'm not so sure in this day and age of free agency and the health and the longevity and the players are making so much money. I don't know if a guy wants to do that. Yeah. I, I got to really wonder if that's ever going to be met again. You know, you know, you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, I think it's going to be difficult, especially in, in the free agency years, especially with with um, teams that maybe cannot, that probably would not or cannot afford to have a catcher for that long. And if he's that good, will it be a situation like a JT Real Muto where the teams just have to trade him away because they can't afford him? So those are interesting facets of it all. I'll tell you what I felt. What I felt, and I can imagine Yadi felt even worse about it is before the season, I looked up and I saw on MLB Network the top 10 catchers in the game, and Yachty wasn't in the top 10. And I was like, wait a second, this guy posts every year. He shows up every year. He catches more than any other catcher every year. I get it. I understand JT Realmuto. I understand Salvi Perez. Those guys go out and grind it as well. But not a lot of other catchers are the everyday catchers that we see, they, they, they split a lot of time to keep their legs fresh because that's what the data tells you. That's what the, the advanced scouting tells you to do. But Yachty goes out there and he continues to produce. And right now, what's he hitting around 330, 328? Yeah. So, I mean, come on. This guy, is, this guy is what an old school productive catcher is all about. We're talking to Eduardo Perez here on 101 ESPN. Eduardo, for as much as Yachty has been amazing at the plate, and he's been outstanding, one of the guys that's really stood out to me so far for the Cardinals is their young kid, Dylan Carlson. He looks comfortable right now at the plate in a way that I wasn't sure that we were going to see this early on. I don't know how much you've been able to see of him, but what have you noticed from him so far early in this season? Yeah, I like Dylan a lot. And and one thing that I noticed early on, you know, and let's start with the first game of the season. If I'm not mistaken, first at bat, he goes deep, right, in Cincinnati. And then one thing that I noticed from him last year, and I kept noticing this year, and he's gotten better at it, if you look at it from the left side, especially from the left side, being a switcher, uh, he's, he's – uh, that left leg sometimes buckles outwards when he starts his load, when he starts that lift, that leg lift, and – and, uh, you know, to, to get that, uh, to be moving forward. And he's been able to control that and tone it down a little bit. And I think that's given him a lot of balance. And we saw yesterday uh, the fly ball center field, the double 
just uh, you know, just getting through the baseball, being able to stay consistent. I like what I see out of him. I think the stronger he gets, and believe it or not, the slower he gets as his career moves on, I think it's going to translate even to a better hitter. Slower feet, quick hands, equates uh, a good, consistent hitter. But um, right now, Dylan's just shown a lot of confidence at the plate, and he's been able to handle the pitch inside and not let him affect him on the outside part of the plate. Stays, uh, stays true on both sides, both on the right side when he, when he hits against lefties and both on the lefty when he hits against righties. But that back leg, sometimes he opens it up a little bit, but he's been able to rectify it. And I think that right there is going to be the consistency that he's going to need through his career. But I like him. I like him. And I think, uh, I think if I'm not mistaken, Jimmy Edmonds likes him as well, because we, we have some conversations about Dylan working with, with his hitting. Absolutely. Um, Max Scherzer going today for the Nationals. In my mind, the St. Louis native, he's headed to the Hall of Fame. If you're a hitter against Max Scherzer or a viewer of the game today on Valley Sports, what do you watch when you're looking at a, a legend, in my mind, in Max Scherzer pitching today? Watch how he competes. And that's a very broad and vague answer, but it's just the, the urgency there is after and before every pitch that he has. He throws every pitch with conviction. And you guys know that when you do TV, you do radio, it's about being able to answer and being able to do the things you need to do with conviction. And he does it well on the mound. Um, He throws that fastball up with purpose. He establishes the outside corner with purpose. He uses that slider down and away uh, as an effective pitch to get the chase as well as to get ahead of hitters. He uses his changeup from the angle where he's um, as good as anyone against both lefties and righties. And the secret of success of being able to be an elite pitcher like Max Scherzer has been is to have, is to have confidence in all those pitches that he throws. And that's what I love about him. And it's scary every time a card, the Cardinals have to face a guy that went um, – uh, that's from Missouri because they, they had that little ump, man. They had that little, I'm pitching in front of the family. I'm, or uh, I know that my family's watching back at home, all my friends, you know. So uh, this is a little bit about bragging rights. And every time Max Scherzer takes them out, and I know St. Louis Cardinal fans that might not want to hear it, but it's an opportunity for Max Scherzer to, to make history. If it's on the no-hit bid, on the perfect game bid, or just about throwing shutouts and getting double-digit strikeouts. Uh, a guy that I love watching and love sitting down, making sure I got a, uh, some popcorn, and if I'm not working that night, I might have a cold one next to me too. <laughs> Eduardo, <laughs> earlier you mentioned how the Cubs are a low-ball hitting team and teams have kind of figured out how to pitch them. Are you seeing any consistent theme with the way that teams are pitching the Cardinals so far this year in that way? Um, not really. I think you, you have different hitters, uh, and and you know a lot of, a lot is made of having a right left lineup, you know, and try to balance it out, make it harder on the opposing staffs if they have a bullpen that has maybe one lefty or two lefties. Where do you want to match them up here and there? Look, the game has evolved to the point where, and 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 we've seen it with the data driven teams where they don't pay so much attention anymore to the right-left matchup because the pitcher, especially the bull, the bullpen guy, has to come in, and unless he ends the inning, he has to face three hitters, right? So 
the way I see it is teams will go out there and 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 see if okay if the number two hitter is a lefty is is a lefty but he's a high ball hitter and the number three hitter is a high ball hitter as well you see them as equals I don't care if it's a lefty or righty on the mound so teams are now trying to balance out the low ball high ball in the lineup and the Cardinals do a really good job of being able to do that. Goldschmidt, he can handle the pitch up as well as he can handle the pitch down. He knows how to elevate the pitch. Uh, he knows how to be able to uh, to lift the pitch down in the zone, and he doesn't get too greedy, meaning he can hit the ball the other way and still be effective. Nolan Arenado, same thing. You know, you have some guys that do struggle. Carp has struggled mightily. Fans know it. It's no secret in St. Louis. There are ways of getting those guys out, and the analytics are proving that, uh, that, that it's an effective way. But right now, the Cardinals are, are balanced. Edmund does a nice job at the top of the order. You need to have not only the left-right, but the high-low guys in the orders mixed up to make it harder on teams to, um, to attack those lineups. I'm sure Wayno is happy about this. Carlos Martinez will be happy about this today, but Juan Soto is on the I.L., I don't know yeah, about man. you, man, Eduardo. I don't know about you. We watched him last week in St. Louis, and I, I think it's a treat to watch this kid play. Um, he might be the guy, if you said to me, all right, you get to watch one player take at bats every single night. I got Trout. I got Betts. I got these other guys, Fernando Tatis. I got Judge. I got Stanton. I get it. They're all great players. I think I want to watch Juan Soto. That guy is awesome. Yeah, he is, and... Uh, I'm going to add another one to the list just from what I've seen this year is Ronald Acuna Jr. Absolutely, and yeah. It's unfortunate that both of these two players right now, one's on the I.L., and I think they put him on the I.L. more to protect him from himself so he's not going in there saying, I'm ready, my shoulder's okay, I can protect it, they need me in the lineup. They put him on the I.L. to protect that young star. Uh, Ronald Acuna Jr. day-to-day right now with an oblique issue. Um, also, this year has shown discipline at the plate. And it is really impressive. And he's learned from what Soto is doing. I had a conversation with Soto during the offseason. And he was telling me that he sees things that other players just do not see. Other major leaguers do not see. If it's on the eye test. Don't you see what it says over there? They're like, are you kidding? That's too far. He goes, no, this is what it says. It says reserved for, for Mr. Rivoli or, or Televideo. And, he's, and they're like, what? You know, he sees things better. That was like Albert. Remember Albert's eyesight, too? Eduardo, remember, uh, he had that great eyesight, too. Absolutely. That's one thing I was never blessed with. I had had glasses when I was eight years old. I had contacts. I lost my vision, Um, you know, bunting a ball off my eyeball and a ball. So I don't even know, I can't even fathom what it is to see as good and clear as they do and be able to process it to the hand-eye coordination. And Soto, his takes are as good as any. And the only person I ever saw him, I ever saw, get him out of his own game was actually Wayno in the postseason, where where um, Soto took a pitch, did his move towards him, and he stared at him. And after that, Soto wasn't himself. And I remember that, him. yeah. He learned, and then he struggled. He struggled for like a few games after that in the postseason, and and I was like, "Wow, you cannot let somebody else get you out of his game." But Wayno was able to do it, and and again, now 
because Soto knows that he's at the top of one, if not one of the best players in the game. He's going, he's doing his thing, and it's working. And he is one guy that when he comes on TV, I stop what I'm doing and say, give me a minute because I have to see this. Eduardo, final question that I've got for you. As you mentioned a little bit ago, Matt Carpenter has certainly been a topic of conversation here in St. Louis, and I would love to get your perspective on what's happened so far with him this year. We've talked all year about how he's he's barreling up the ball. He's got that really high exit velocity. But Eduardo, it's just not translating into hits. Can you explain for our audience what you're seeing and why some of that exit velocity stuff is not translating for him into hits? Man, sometimes sometimes these these are the things, you know, he's strong, he feels good, everything works, yet in those thirty three at bats that he's had so far this season, you know, he's got that one home run, hasn't really produced, but what he does, he gets still you know, he gets on base still, he has a he has a good eye, just hasn't translated. Sometimes it's about confidence. This is a guy that has, has always had to prove everyone wrong. In TCU, he was heavy at one point, got in shape, started eating better, lost weight, did the whole four years at TCU. As a matter of fact, if I'm not mistaken, it was five because it was redshirt one year because of an injury. Goes out, continues to rake, wasn't a high prospect, and does what he does. I have the utmost respect for Matt Carpenter. And I'll tell you this, and I read this on Twitter, and I know a lot of people that are on Twitter say more negative stuff than positive stuff. Don't forget what Matt Carpenter has done and had done for the St. Louis Cardinals in the past and what he does for the young players. He's gone in. He hasn't, he hasn't complained at all. Has he not produced? He hasn't produced yet. But in a, with a game on the line, I always wanted Matt Carpenter up because I knew that he knew the strike zone. I knew that he could hit lefties. He's going through a rut. The worst thing that we can do is continue to just add fuel to the rut. And, and and the team, you know, when he gets that opportunity, instead of booing, it's about cheering. It's about being able to understand that not it's not all roses in the game. And maybe the bat, the, the bat speed might not be there. Maybe it's something with the eyesight at the time. But Matt, Matt Carpenter right now, I won't, I, won't, I won't speak ill of him because I respect him so much for what he has done for the St. Louis Cardinal organization and what he has done to better his teammates throughout all these years. Eduardo, as I uh, wrap it up here, uh, people ask me, hey, what's your favorite uh, interview you've done? And you are in the top 10 of my all-time favorite interviews. Did you know that? I had no idea. What did I do wrong? <laughs> so we were in Tampa Bay. It was interleague play. It was Father's Day. And I had spoken to you uh, probably the day before or something like that. And I came over to bother you. And you said, Danny Mac, whatever you need, come find me tomorrow. We'll do the interview. So I was doing the game with Mike Shannon. And we did a uh, uh, an interview about your dad on Father's Day. And you were so awesome and gracious in that interview. I think I still have it because it meant something to me about what fathers mean to sons and daughters, but what the game has done for your family and what your dad did for you, who's he's a wonderful man. So I just want to say thanks. I never have told you oh, that man. all our time talking. That's awesome, man. Thank you so much. That means a lot. As you matter of fact, it. I'm going to go see him right now. Awesome. So I appreciate that so much. You're the best, buddy. We'll catch you up soon. All right, guys. Hey, and if you're bored, 530 your time in St. Louis. We'll be on ESPN, Carl Ravitch and Tim Kirchner. We'll be on again, Atlanta and the Yankees. I'll awesome. be doing it right from 
my house in flip flops with uh, <laughs> obviously the Zoom outfit, which means from waist up. <laughs> and with Mickey. Oh, Mickey will be there. Awesome. He's, he's all good. Are you guys going to get back on the road anytime soon, by the way? I don't know. I don't know. I hope so. Yeah. I really do. And uh, hopefully we're all safe and we can do that. You bet. Thanks, Eduardo, for doing this. Appreciate you, buddy. You got it, brother. That's Eduardo Perez. He is one of the finest men that you will ever meet in sports. He is just a gem. He's I, awesome. I love hearing from him as well because similar to what you get from Edmonds on the Cardinals broadcast now, he's able to break things down in a way that, frankly, I just can't see some of the things that Eduardo Perez is able to see that you notice sometimes in the game, Sam. Like, you guys have such an institutional knowledge of this game that with Dylan Carlson, for instance, the the leg kind of crumbling in on him, that's really interesting to hear that he has been able to kind of revert back from that, and he's been able to become a more consistent hitter as a result. He, um, I've, I've talked to many players and asked them, like, who's been your biggest influence, not with a coach or your father or your mother or college, high school, Little League, whatever, and they say Eduardo Perez. How about that? Interesting. They, they said that um, he f- would find things with not only because he was a bench guy for the better part of his career. So he really watched. And then he grew up around the game, obviously, with his dad, a Hall of Famer. And he grew up around the big red machine. And so he was always at the ballpark playing baseball or talking baseball or just being around it in general. And they said that he was a master at detecting when a guy was tipping pitches. So he was valuable when he was on the bench. He would just stare and say, hey, the guy is turning his glove a little bit this way on a curve, or he's expanding the glove, trying to dig in on a changeup. And then with individual players, he would watch them hit, and his video got more in vogue in the game. He'd go in and break it down like a coach, and he's one of their co-players. Yeah, you know, It's just amazing what those guys see. So he's one of my favorite people. He's such a class act, and thanks to Eduardo Perez for uh, doing that. This is the Danny Mac Show with BK, the podcast powered by I Promise. mentioned that uh, lineup earlier and Dylan Carlson is in the lineup so it's going to go Tommy Edmond Goldie Arenado DeYoung batting cleanup today with Yachty getting the day off you've got Carlson five Carpenter batting sixth Justin Williams is batting seventh and Andrew Kisner is catching today batting eighth think if I was going to get a day off it'd probably be against Max Scherzer yeah it's a good one I don't think I want that sinker running two in. days, right? Exactly. Two for one. So it makes some sense. And I still think he's swinging a little bit compromised. Looked better last night, but in game one, and when he took that foul ball off his hand, you could tell it was it was hurting him to squeeze the bat. So a couple of days off, probably beneficial for him. Dylan Carlson in his last 10 games is 10 for 32. He scored nine runs, a couple of doubles, two triples, back-to-back games. Had a key triple last night that tied the game up. Two home runs. He's driven in six, walked six times, uh, struck out seven. So you look at Dylan Carlson, and I think it was really interesting what Eduardo talked about with his front leg kick, especially from the left side. So that's something to watch. And I was telling you before the show, you kind of asking me what's going on. We were just talking about yeah. Carlson, how well he's looked. He, he's just... He's, he's understanding of the strike zone is a lot better as opposed to last year. You know, guys are really pitching him backwards. He wasn't seeing a lot of fastballs. He's laying off some of those pitches, and he's quiet at the plate. 
really quiet at the plate. This guy is going to be some kind of player, man, before it's all said and done. He is, and the outfield as a whole has really picked it up lately. I mean, you're starting to see a little bit more production from Justin Williams. You've seen, obviously, the production all year long from Dylan Carlson. Austin Dean has been pretty solid at the plate. He's been producing as well. Last night, you saw the sack fly from Austin Dean. I'm very interested to see what this mix looks like on Friday when they're expecting Tyler O'Neill back in the mix. And I think last I heard Harrison Bader, like two weeks maybe, uh, is kind of what we're probably looking at timetable-wise for him. This this could be a pretty interesting mix whenever they get these guys back. Got some moves coming up too with Tyler O'Neill coming back. You got Oviedo going into rotation. You got, I think, 17 games in a row, no off days. So there's going to be probably some moves this weekend. Mike Schilt knows those that today is going to be tough. You know, it was the first one that we've had that that, uh, that got away. Um, so to speak, late, and uh, that's going to happen occasionally. They don't, they don't taste real good. You know, this team is super resilient. It'll come back and compete, and we'll be ready to go tomorrow when the bell rings. I am interested to see how they bounce back. Quick turnaround. It's a day game today, and as you mentioned, kind of felt like a playoff game. I'm with you. The intensity was there last night. That's one you want to win, and that's one that I'm sure was a quiet clubhouse. Sometimes you go into a clubhouse after a game when they lose, and normally it's quiet. No matter if you lose and it's really tough, it's a one-run game like last night, or if you get blown out, it's usually always going to be fairly quiet. I bet you could hear a pin drop at some point, even though it's early. So I'm interested to see how they bounce back today. Now, in baseball, that's the beauty of it. You don't have to sit and you know, bother you for the next three days before you play another game. You're right back at it today. So you do have short memories, but last night was tough. It was. It was. And the other thing about this series that makes it almost, it's not a must win because it's baseball, right? There's 162 of these games. But But you've had a chance to win these series. You got to win them. And Juan Soto's out. Yeah. Like, that's the other thing that's so important. It's not just who you're playing. It's when you're playing them. And if you could get two out of three in this series against the Nationals with no Juan Soto in the lineup and you lose both of them, that's really, really hard. And that's going to leave a bad taste in your mouth, especially when you only scored two runs in the first one. And it's going to be tough to be able to scratch cross runs today with Max Scherzer on the mound. So that'll be on Bally Sports coming up this afternoon, I believe 2.30 with the pregame show. And you've got Alex coming up the next three hours. We do. We've got Jason Stark, one of my favorite baseball writers in the country. He's going to be joining us coming up at 11.15. We will also be talking about the Blues. I Jamie Rivers said something really interesting yesterday on the fast lane about Craig Berube and why he believes that there is still so much faith in Berube inside of that locker room. So we'll talk about that coming up here in just a little bit. And we got to start with the rotation. It's finally starting to look a little bit better for the Cardinals right now. Looking forward to that. It's uh, Alex BK that's coming up next on 101 ESPN. Tanner, great job. And we'll talk to everybody tomorrow at 10. You've been listening to the Danny Mac Show with BK, the podcast powered by I Promise.